Welcome to Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. My name is Jordi Karlinski, and I'm a former professional athlete turned real estate agent based out of Aspen, Colorado. In this podcast, I interview business and real estate professionals, coaches across many industries, and other athletes to deliver educational and life-changing content. If you are someone who has a thirst for personal and business development, who seeks growth in all aspects of your life, and who wants to dive deeper into real-life current events as they relate to business and real estate, then this is the podcast for you. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number three of Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. I am your host, Jordi, and in this episode, my dad, yes, that's right, my dad, Andy Karlinski, a certified financial planner, and I unlock how he built his business from the ground up and how he got to where he is today as a successful independent CFP who has 30 reps under him in an organization that manages over $900 million of clients' money. I have been fortunate enough to have his advice and mentorship my entire life, and he has definitely inspired my entrepreneurial spirit. He gives great advice for overcoming no's and setbacks, the importance of goal setting, developing systems and processes early on, and how to stay the course even when you don't feel like you are getting anywhere. Surely this is something all entrepreneurs can relate to. We also dig into very relevant topics such as the stock market and the volatility it experienced in March 2020, the V-shaped recovery we've seen since, as well as how the stock market responded after the presidential election. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did while interviewing my dad. To introduce Andy, He is the president and founder of AK Financial Group. After earning his bachelor's degree from Queens College in New York, Andy moved to Orange County, California in 1976 and began working in the financial services industry. Since then, Andy has actively been pursuing his vision of building a financial services firm that meets the full spectrum of his clients' financial planning needs. He holds a Series 7, 24, and 63 registrations through LPL Financial, the Certified Financial Planner designation, and insurance licenses. He is a registered principal in office of Supervisory Jurisdiction Branch Manager with LPL Financial. Andy has held leadership positions in a number of nonprofit organizations in California and Colorado and enjoys snowboarding and surfing in his spare time. Cool. All right. Well, hey, Dad. How's it going? Going well, Jordy. How are you? (laughs) Doing well. Thanks for hopping on this interview. I'm excited to, you know, I know a lot about your background and how you got to where you are today, but I think you have a lot to offer, um, you know, starting from the ground and building your way up to where you are today. And I think you have a lot of great advice and advice. experiences that you can share with the listeners on, especially with business development so and entrepreneurship. So let's jump right into it. Tell me how you got to where you are today. What was your whole career time? What was your career timeline like? Okay. Well, I, I grew up in, in Queens, New York and went to Queens College. And while I was in college, I started attending bar in a number of different places in New York and went up in a, in a pretty nice club in Manhattan. And I was a surfer back there. I had been going back forth to California numerous times to surf. 
fell in love with Southern California, Orange County, Newport Beach and South and decided that's where I wanted to live. So I got my degree from Queens College in communications, uh, arts and sciences. And while I was attending bar, I just caught, started talking to a lot of successful people. And uh, this was in Manhattan, a really high-end place. And I uh, got to know a lot of people really well and just started picking their brains on what career path I might take. So what was determined at the time, and I had made the decision to go to California and start, was to get in something back then they called aggressive sales. So what aggressive sales basically meant, you had basically unlimited income opportunity and uh, you built your own career, your own business, et cetera. So it mainly involved looking at real estate potentially, and it also involved mainly looking at the investment universe and stockbrokers, things like that. I eventually moved to uh, Newport Beach. I was 25 years old and I attended bars six nights a week while I looked for careers. And I wound up finding an opportunity with a, an insurance slash pension administration firm. It was a straight commission opportunity, but again, with the unlimited income potential and the ability to build my own business, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, they had a, a marketing system that got involved with physicians and all aspects, training, uh, residents and interns, fellows, as well as established physicians and dentists. So I started cold calling at the local training hospitals in Southern California, young doctors. I would go into the hospitals with my suit on and my briefcase and try to meet these doctors. I had a, a basic program that I would show them to hopefully help them get them help them uh, use me to get involved with their financial affairs. Along the way, I was studying for all my various licenses. So that included the insurance license, all these securities licenses, and eventually became a certified financial planner, a CFP. So that, that was the, the foundation of building the business, mainly uh, young doctors uh, of medical and, and dental. And then eventually I, I branched into the established physicians, providing financial planning services, which were mainly at that time, insurance and retirement plans. So as time went on, I I went 100% on my own when I was 32 for my own firm, AK Financial Group, became a certified financial planner, became a registered investment advisor, and then started branching out into other services. I had full securities capabilities at that time. I was always on the independent financial advisor side, as opposed to the, the wirehouse side, and wirehouse means a Merrill Lynch, it could be a Morgan Stanley, things like that. So they were employees where I had my own independent business. And so, um, you know, I just kept working really hard, meeting successful people and helping them with their financial affairs. So, okay, so a few questions I have from that. When you, first off, so, you know, you said that early on in Manhattan, you started talking to a lot of successful people. And, you know, I think nowadays the term entrepreneurship comes up and being your own boss and the sky's the limit or can be the limit for uh, income. And so what what drew you to that? Because that's a big leap for a lot of people to want to go off on their own and to either be fully commission-based, like something in real estate or, you know, financial advisor being an independent broker like that. So what gave you that motivation or that, 
I don't know, I guess security to want to make that leap? Well, I did not grow up, I grew up, I won't say poor, but it was week to week, month to month checks for my parents. We really didn't have much extra. So um, I had a real motivation to be successful. And successful back then meant making money. Pretty simple, making money. And, you know, obviously that's not the only definition of success and it clearly isn't today, but it really helps. Making money helps. So I, I needed to find a career that would allow me that unlimited income opportunity. And, um, and you know, I chose the path I did, but it was, it was a, a real burning desire for me to be successful and not live hand to mouth, so to speak, or week to week. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean, today I, I have my why of why I'm in real estate and, you know, it's, yeah, to, to be able to provide for a family and just be able to afford to live in the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, is what it really comes down to and have a great lifestyle. And, and so you're saying basically your why behind things was this burning desire to succeed. Yes. And, and you bring up a great point and, and that really dovetail as, as I matured, became more conscious of myself, my goals, my objectives. It's lifestyle. It, yeah. it, it ultimately comes down to lifestyle. So what lifestyle do you want? And then what does it take, you know, financially to support that lifestyle? So that, that again, um, through a lot of visualization uh, over the years and sitting on a beach blanket at Jones Beach when I'm eight, nine years old, uh, dreaming of traveling. And I got my transistor radio, listen to the Yankees baseball mm -hmm. and just dreaming of traveling around the country and doing things. And I, you know, back then I probably didn't say lifestyle, but I knew it would take, you know, a certain amount of adequate finances to do those things. Yeah. So I, I love how you brought up visual, mm -hmm. visualization and dreaming big. And those seem to be a thing. So like, how did you get there? I don't know. What, did you, your parents instill that in you? Or was it just something that you were not happy with, I guess, the life that you were growing up in and you wanted something different for yourself? Well, it, it, my parents, you know, they were good parents, um, my mom particularly, but, uh, you know, they just wanted me, my mom in particular said, get a good job, you know, have a nice life and all that. But it, it was not beyond, you know, working for someone else. And it was just, you know, we had different aspirations. So I just had this burning desire to be, have the lifestyle I wanted. And that lifestyle always revolved around sports. So as I mentioned, when I started surfing, I know, okay, I, I, and even though New York, believe it or not, has some decent surfing, but you don't do it all year round, et cetera, or now they do. But um, I, I did it most of the year, but um, I knew California would be the place for me to do that. And having visited a number of times, and I, you know, we're talking about it a while back. It's a, it's a different California now. I'll leave it at that. The weather's still good, but yeah. uh, it was the land of opportunity and so many entrepreneurs. Here. So that really helped me because so many people were starting their own business or had their own business. And like I said, I was calling on mainly physicians and dentists, which eventually mm -hmm. became CPAs also, but they all had their own businesses. So that was a real model for me to help me, again, achieve the lifestyle goals. So going to when you were in California and you started going cold calling doctors, what, I mean, I'm sure you experienced a lot of no's in your life and, you know, closed doors, if you will. How did you get past that and keep moving forward? Well, a, a, a profound, sincere uh, sense of self. 
I know they weren't saying no to me. They were saying no to what I was presenting. So, and you, you have to wrap your mind around that. I mean, that really did. Yeah. But I was able to do that. <clears throat> I was able to do that at a very young age. And, and you know, a cocky New Yorker said, well, that's your problem <laughs> in my mind. I didn't say that to the, the prospect. Yeah. I said, well, that's your problem. You don't get to work with me. You know, someday yeah. you'll re regret it. So, so that's kind of you know, been my attitude still is. But, uh, um, yeah, so it's just a real profound sense of self and, you know, confidence in if I keep doing what I was doing, I'd be successful. Yeah. And the more, I, the more no's, sorry, the more no's I, I got, the closer I was to a yes. So it's a, it's a law of numbers. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's a really good lesson there is just, <laughs> I like how you said, they're not saying no to you. They're saying no to the product or whatever it is you're offering. And I think that's a really good takeaway. You know, I'm sure you did experience a few failures along your way to becoming a CFP and like in your career as a CFP, can you share some experiences around failing and how you've bounced back from that? Well, I, I think in the career, failing would be more that you didn't get the, you know, prospects to become clients and things like that. I worked on mm -hmm. a lot of big, big projects, so to speak, with wealthy clients or big companies where putting their 401ks in and you're in the bidding process and, and you don't get it. So obviously you have to learn from that. And you just, you know, it's, it's another form of rejection to say the least, but, but you say, okay, what, and then go back to the drawing board. What can I do differently? How can I learn from this, et cetera? So, so, and that, that happens to this day. I mean, it happens to this day. You don't, you know, I, I fortunately now, as I've refined my process as a professional, it's pretty rare where I don't close the deal, so to speak, and, and get the client. Um, and a lot of that is working, understanding upfront if it's really the right fit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and in, in my world, which is a subjective world, because yeah, you can look at your accounts and see them, but you're not actually holding uh, the stocks uh, or you own equities and you own it, debt or bonds. And you see these as numbers, but it's more of a subjective, you know, type of environment for me and planning and et cetera. So, so it's a little tougher, I think, in, in many ways. And, um, but you, you get rewarded really well. Yeah. And I, I guess I should have started maybe with like, what's a, your definition of a failure? And I think you outlined mm -hmm. that well. And, and so, you know, how you've been in this business what, for 30 plus years, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 40 plus. <laughs> 40 plus years. Um, so how do you stay consistent through it all? Well, fortunately, I love the business. I love the career. So staying consistent is, you know, goals, setting goals, setting objectives, setting, uh, you know, processes. You know, every day I go through a very similar process in regards to my business and, and my personal life, um, but making sure that consistency is there. And then you tweak that along the way, meaning, you know, what you might have done 10 years ago, you might not be doing that um, today because things have changed, obviously. And COVID has changed things too. Um, so uh, it's just that consistency, day in, day out, constantly learning, never stop learning, which I love. And I, I do that besides my business, which has multiple uh, disciplines that I have to be aware of and know and, and be very proficient at. Uh, so, so that, that really helps keep you on track, but that consistency is really important. And do you have a routine that you stick to almost every day 
And if so, can you share what it is? Sure. Yeah, well, I do actually, you know, I mean, I, I get up, get a cup of coffee and, and then I, I you know, I, I check my emails right away. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of time management. And fortunately, many, many years ago, when I started the business, I was offered the opportunity to work with a business consultant back then. And they weren't even called business consultants. He, he, had a, he was a psychologist that worked with business owners. But, um, but, you know, just talking about, you know, developing processes or systems, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, so my routine, I get up, I get through the emails, and I, once I touch them, I don't touch them again. You know, and it's like opening your mail 10 times, and that's a waste of time. Then I, I, I have some certain chores I have to do every day for uh, my business, and I get that off the table. Typically, I have two to five now calls a day with clients, prospects, et cetera, um, or reps that are under my uh, firm's umbrella. And, uh, you know, then there's the educational component. I'm, uh, you know, I have a number of uh, research things that come my way via email that I read every day. So, so those are the kind of foundational things and then, then leave enough time to be fluid and, you know, go with how the day goes. And do you think having kind of going back to the consistency thing for 40 plus years, do you think, have you always had a routine in place or were there, was there ever a time when you were, I don't know, getting, but like barely getting by each day and, and not feeling like you were productive in a way. And then did that make you have a routine or have you always had a, a system and a routine since the beginning? Well, I, I think early on, you know, it was kind of finding the routine. Yeah. So, you know, but when, once I started a routine, which as I said, has changed and it always changes that, I found that consistency, that's when I saw better results in my business. Um, so, but it's, it's that early stage career things that, you know, you should really time management is, is critical in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the, again, the routine, the consistency and, and having a plan. I mean, just having a plan uh, for your respective businesses is very important. And, and so kind of staying with the early stages of your business here. So I know that you had some clients right away by cold calling or door knocking, if you want to call it that, how else, what other advice would you give to getting new clients and how have you done that throughout the years? Well, high visibility, high visibility in many ways. So now here we are, we're we're doing a zoom call. So visibility can be obviously on your phone, emails, you know, there's so many ways to do that. And then obviously face to faces, if you can, depending on mm-hmm. you know COVID, et cetera. But but high visibility, and that also means you know professional organizations, social organizations, you know just being out there that people know who you are. And, yeah. and when you're out there, um, people get to see you in, maybe in a different vein. Particularly if you're with charitable organizations and things like that, which I, I did right away. And um, you know over the years, and I took leadership roles in virtually every one I would. Uh, worked with from Ronald McDonald houses to various hospital boards to the Aspen Valley Skiing Snowboard Club, which I was president on the board for seven, eight years. So uh, that high visibility and people get to see you in action, so to speak, not necessarily in your business format, but as a person, you know, and just see, you know, are you trustworthy? Are you, you know, um, honorable? Do you work hard, et cetera? So, yeah. And I think, I mean, networking is key, obviously, if you, if you have to 
build your client database. And if that's what your business relies on. And yeah, I, I love that high visibility. So when you had this vision to have your business and to be where you are today, how, and I know you talked a little bit about goal setting. How often are you setting goals in today's world? And what does that look like for you? Well, you know, I, I back into some of the goal setting based on the lifestyle, getting back to lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I know, you know, I, I know my numbers and because of technology, mainly it's so easy to find I know on a daily basis where I'm at business wise and, and the other representatives in my organization where they're at. And, you know, we, we typically, and I, you know, myself included, I do it myself, but, uh, you know, beginning of the year, or at, it's better to do it towards the end of the year for the next year. But okay, mm -hmm. where, where do you want to be? And, you know, a lot of his numbers in production in, in, in my world and your world too. It's uh, okay, what, how much, you know, what might I sell next year in real estate? Or, you know, uh, in me, it's bringing on new clients or retaining assets. Our world is more assets under management and retaining those assets. So, um, you know, I, I look at it daily to see if I'm on track and it's very mm -hmm. easy to do, push a button. And then I know going into the, say, 2021, hey, here's, where, here's what I want to accomplish. And that could be new revenue, retaining revenue, uh, new clients. And it could, be, it could be eliminating clients. It could be just saying, you know, they're not the right fit anymore. Um, and then helping them maybe go to a different advisor that might be a better fit for them based on where they're at. Got it. I love, um, yeah, look at the numbers every day. And that's what I think a lot of people are in my experience and also from personal experience, you can have your vision and then set your goals to reach that vision. And I think it's great to do it every year, even do it every quarter, um, just revisit your goals, but to visit them every day, I feel you're staring them at, you're staring at them and, um, you can't hide from them. And I think it's really important to have them somewhere that you can see or have the, the numbers that you want to hit every day. So you're not hiding away from it and, you know, putting it on the back burner. I think it's really important to have it very visible and in front of you every day. I agree. So with, um, you know, you, you have some reps under you now and you have, you've talked about your systems and processes. What, how did you create these systems and processes and, you know, that again, lead to your consistency, lead to the, the production and your clients' happiness and all that stuff? How did you create them? Well, over the years, uh, you know, so that's practice management. Over the years, you know, I, I, I would say in order for me to service, attract and service clients, I have to have these systems in place. So whatever was available at the time. So years ago, it was having bodies more than anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, you had staff. So I would, I always had a fair amount of staff. A lot of people said I was overpaying for it. But I wanted to be able to provide impeccable service. So, so in any industry, you know, you you should be able to know. Okay, I have to have these certain things in place for me to be successful. So, going back as long as I've been doing this, you know, that included uh, getting computers right. You know, when they really became mainstream and and they offered value to me, uh, cell phones. I mean, all those things, and then staff. So, I've had as many as six staff, and now we're at four, and we're five, 10 times bigger than we were, say, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And because of technology, we're able to you know, leverage that and, and keep the, my business costs down and less staff. But it's always being just aware of what's available 
in regards to maintaining and growing your practice. Yeah, and it's probably a little bit of playing to other people's strengths because I, I find that in my business, it's like I I don't always want to be doing certain things because it's a waste of time and I don't know how to do it. And I think you know time is so valuable and it's really important to get your team, if you will, in place in those systems and processes that will ultimately help your business be successful and you know have this great trajectory, ideally. So tell me more about the the reps that are under you now and how long that's been going on in your business. Yeah, that, great question, Joy. So about 22 years ago, um, I was offered an opportunity or suggested an opportunity to become what we call uh, uh, an OSJ. It's it's a principal's li- get a principal's license with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and that allows me to supervise other independent registered representatives, other independent financial advisors. So I started doing that, like I said, 22 years ago, and found that I liked it really a lot. And one of the big reasons was, you know, it, it added some other revenue to my practice, but it was working with the reps, helping them grow and uh, develop their businesses. So that, that's been incredibly rewarding. Uh, we meet, well, we're doing a Zoom now, but we would typically hold quarterly meetings and then two or three other social happy hour type of events where we all get together, a lot of camaraderie. We're all on the same page. I supervise their practices. I get a piece of their revenue. Um, but that's a good adjunct to my practice. I've also acquired five financial planning practices over the years. And, um, and that's been a, a good growth opportunity for me in building my business. It also provided an opportunity for the either retiring registered representative or uh, the deceased representative's families to get some value from their practices when they decide, you know, either due to retirement or death, that they're not going to be in the, in the uh, business any longer. So um, all of that's been a, a very rewarding thing. And that's part of my daily process too. communicating mm-hmm. with the reps. I see their numbers. I know where they're at, if they're on track or not on track. So we communicate that way. That's so cool. And I assume you mm-hmm. probably offer a little bit of mentorship as well for people who are maybe newer in the business and um, wanting to learn from someone like you. Well, absolutely. That's a big part. You know, when I meet someone new, be new to the business or established, you know, the, my, my whole goal is to be, you know, help them grow their businesses. And I say, look, I, I, I can be, I'm your friend, I'm your mentor, I'm your partner, um, whatever you want to call me, but I'm there mm-hmm. for you to help you grow the way, you, you know, you want to grow and, and go from there. So again, yeah. having done this as long as I have, I've got a lot of experiences in when you talk, you know, and, and, you know, the ups and downs of the businesses, the ups and downs. So I've been through enough cycles now uh, and things I, I can share some good experience with the reps as well as my personal clients on, on their side of things. Yeah. And I, I want to get to a little bit more of current events with mm-hmm. coronavirus right now, but mm-hmm. I have a few more questions on this and uh, t- just going back to mentors or coaches. Did you have anyone like that in your life? Um, not as hands-on as I am with the reps, but again, I, I was always looking for, for opportunities to learn. So, mm-hmm. so before what we're doing now on Zooms or, or WebExes and things like that, I went to meeting after meeting after meeting, and it was fun. I, and so, you know, I, I, I had, you know, different firms offered meetings with 
good motivational speakers and practice management speakers, time management speakers. So um, I, I couldn't get enough of that. So mm -hmm. it was really worthwhile. And I, I've been fortunate enough with some of the different firms. I got to meet world leaders um, and hear them speak so from presidents to prime ministers to uh, secretaries of our government, um, cabinet members, et cetera. And so it, it's been very rewarding that way. But it was this quest to just stay current and then hear from people that have significant expertise, maybe areas I don't have, and learn from them. Then I take it all in and build my own uh, you know, ideas and process around that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, not everyone is fortunate enough to have a coach or a mentor going when they're starting out or creating their own business as, as you didn't have one. And I think that brings up a really good point is that there nowadays there's so many great um, tools and resources on the internet and, or you can go to physical events that have motivational speakers and whatnot that I think is a really good resource for people who don't have access to one-on-one -on -one mentorship or one-on-one -on -one coaching. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it's so important and not only just for business, but also for, yeah, one for keeping motivation and then two for, you know, setting goals and also for um, just, I don't know, being your best self and having kind of that mental mindset shift as well and being aware of your mindset. Because, I mean, going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about when you experienced a lot of no's, you had, it seems like you had this higher regard for yourself and knew that, again, it wasn't to you that they were saying no, but it was just the product. And I think that mm -hmm. that's a really important thing that many people don't have, but you can develop over time. And if you put a little effort into some personal development, that'll hopefully only help your business grow. No, well said. And, and just on that note, the, um, you know, the, your world, uh, my world, and there's a lot of obviously and entrepreneurs start off any kind of business. It's mm -hmm. tough. And, and the thing is uh, you have to stick at it. You just have to stick at it. And a year isn't sticking at it. Two years isn't sticking at it. Fortunately, you know, I, I had some, you know, some training initial on. I say that it was not very organized, but one of, you know, I, one of the comments that was made to me in my biz said, you are totally underpaid the first five to seven years you're in this business, and then you'll be overpaid for the rest of your life mm -hmm. for what you do. So in so many words is, is you have to stick it out. You have to yeah. stick it out. You have to grow along the way and, and, you know, just stay there and if you're doing the right things you'll develop the clients you'll develop the consistency and you, you'll develop the income for your uh, lifestyle yeah it's that's a really good point and I think for me it brings up that you know it can be so demoralizing if yeah you get a lot of no's and you're constantly trying and you sometimes as an entrepreneur or startup whatever it is you don't you don't sometimes feel the success but for me, when I feel I have days like that or weeks or months like that, where I'm like, okay, I don't have any new clients. I'm not selling any homes or whatever it is. It's just, I really try to reflect on the day or even the week and just be like, okay, what did I do that was successful? What, what, what did I do that does move my business forward? And whether that was a phone call to a potential client or cold calling someone or, you know, doing something with marketing that I feel could give me exposure and visibility. And so I think that's a really... For me personally, that's a part of my business that 
it can, can be really demoralizing to not feel like you're getting anywhere, but having those small successes every day and really reflecting on your day, I think is so important to just keep the path and to stick with it for a long time. Well, well, well said, Jordi, and I agree. And, and the other thing that I think we said this along, but I said high visibility, but high activity. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So part of the plan for me years ago, I needed to have at least 15, way back when, 15 seen appointments a week. Seen, 15. So, and it wasn't like, they had to be meaningful, meaning a new prospect, meaning an yeah. existing client, maybe a center of influence, but they had to be meaningful. So and that was a goal you set for yourself? Absolutely. Sorry, that was, yeah. Yeah, that, okay. No, that's fine. Yeah, no, that was absolutely it. And to this day, you know, I, I try to adhere to that the best I can. Now, financially, mm-hmm. I don't need to do that, but I still try to adhere to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we have systems in the office that, uh, you know, the staff knows when a certain client needs to have a review call or, or you know, whatever follow-up that needs to be done, that's all automated. So it's off my plate. And, and you brought up earlier that there are things that you shouldn't be doing. It has to be done in your business, mm-hmm. but you shouldn't be doing and that's when I, I mentioned I had all this other staff because I, I still to this day have reps in my, you know, my uh, practice that do opening new opening accounts and they do and you know they do okay but they're not doing anywhere near anywhere near what they could be doing if they leveraged that I said look take the paperwork off my desk and just go see people and do what you're supposed to be doing you know giving yeah. you know p- proper advice financial advice to people yeah do the stuff that's going to make the money. <laughs> And pretty that's sim- pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. And that's being in front of people and connecting with clients or uh, prospecting. Mm-hmm. So to round this section out, do you have a mantra that you live by? Oh, work hard, play hard, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's pretty, yeah, pretty much it. I mean, but um, yeah, I, well, I don't, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, simple. you know, yeah, work hard, play hard. All good. I mean, yeah, I think if that resonates with you, hey, it all works. Um, So let's shift gears a little bit. So um, you're a certified financial planner and we are in the coronavirus era. Um, It's been going on. We're recording this just after the presidential election in November. So what I mean, tell me about your business leading up to the coronavirus and when it really hit our shores uh, early 2020 and um, how that really affected your business and what you did to sure. just be agile in that environment? Yeah. So, so getting back to how I developed the practice over the years, we worked virtually for years, for many years. So all my staff, even though I have a, a nice office in Irvine, California, um, that's kind of mission control, so to speak. Uh, the four staff all had the ability to work from home. So everything was already set up technologically. And so when COVID hit, we were up and running. We didn't have to change a thing. Mm-hmm. We added Zoom, obviously, and things like that, but it was pretty simple. So, so obviously, there was a significant financial impact in, in March, where we saw the S&P index down 33 to 34%. So that affects my income because my income is based mainly on recurring revenue. So if recovering revenue goes down 34%, give or take, um, my income's down 34%. So, mm-hmm. so obviously that's a little bit stressful. But the most important thing we did 
was we ramped up the communication with our clients and prospects. So we would normally get one or two emails out a week on business conditions, you know, just kind of overviews, you know, and then add some different things from different research. Now we ramped it up to four or five a week. And uh, even though it might've been overkill, I don't think you can communicate enough with clients ever, but particularly when there's a crisis going on, and particularly in my world, when it involves their finances, their financial future, et cetera, et cetera. So we also ramped up the, uh, the calls with clients. I mean, if, if Jordy's time was to have a call in June, well, we suggested let's have a call in March, mm-hmm. you know, just to make sure everything's fine. And what we found, uh, fortunately, everybody was fine. Everybody mm-hmm. was fine. And obviously, we saw a very quick rebound. And now we're, you know, to your point, we just had a, a, a presidential election. And, that, you know, that, the markets have reacted very favorably to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll see how the, um, the Congress pans out, but I know we had had this conversation before, uh, and I, is that from financial market performance standpoint, the best mix of government would be a democratic president, a Republican Senate and a democratic house, which is likely to be the case this time. We won't know for sure until January but that has been the best result for financial markets. And why is that? Um, well, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at it, but the main thing is the Congress, that they're divided. So, so you no, not either party is dictating policy. And um, so, and again, financial markets don't like uncertainty and they like, you know, a lot of times the status quo, quite frankly. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons, but that'd be subjective. And, yeah. um, you know, that's historically what it's been. So how has, you know, going back to March in 2020, when said the, there was a lot of volatility to say the least in the stock market. And um, how did this crisis, if you will, back in March, 2020, differ from the 2008, 2009 financial crisis? Yeah, so 2008, 2009 was a a financial crisis, meaning the infrastructure of the financial system was at jeopardy. Simple as that. I mean, it it was almost a house of cards. And fortunately, we got through it. This one was entirely different. This was not a house of cards situation for our financial system. Our financial system was is and is today in great shape. So it was, yes, we had an economic crisis, but it was, we all know why, it was due to COVID. You know, we were hitting all-time highs in February on the market. Uh, unemployment was at the lowest almost in history. Ethnic groups unemployment was as low as it's been in history. Incomes were rising, et cetera. We get COVID and obviously the economy shut down. And when that, you know, when that happens, obviously, you know, not great things are going to happen to financial markets, et cetera. So way different. The other thing that is way different um, is that the Federal Reserve, in my opinion, has been pretty much masterful in how they've navigated it this time. The first time around, back to the, the financial crisis, 2008, 2009, you know, they were, you know, slowly reacting, not really sure, in my opinion, what to do. They eventually did it. But what, what basically what Powell and the Federal Reserve did this time was, Number one, they obviously dropped interest rates uh, to basically zero. Number two, they said, number two, 
they said that money is not an object, meaning that there's enough money, we'll lend, we'll lend, we'll buy bonds, we'll do anything and everything we need to do. So that has created a, a heck of a lot of confidence in, in, in the financial system and you know, basically businesses. So those are the two major distinctions. Do you think that with, um, do you think we would be where we are today in getting through the coronavirus pandemic and, you know, what a lot of people have called a V-shaped recovery if it hadn't have been for the 2008, 2009 crisis? Well, the lessons learned from that to kind of what I got to is that, you know, the feds reacted right away, right away. And, um, and that helped mitigate what could have been a, even a lot worse. It's bad enough as it is still, but right. um, yeah. So, so, and the feds basically have been pleading with our government and, you know, mainly, you know, our government, all three Congress, both houses, as well as the president to get another stimulus plan passed, mm-hmm. which obviously they haven't. And it's more political than anything else. And hopefully Sooner rather than later, they can get that done because a lot of people are really hurting, really need the money. It should be more targeted. Obviously, the airline industry, the hospitality industry, but but also um, you know the um, you know restaurant industry, things like that. So so more money has to come sooner rather than later. So over the years, you've invested in real estate, and um, I'm sure you have a lot of clients that probably do the same. Um, a lot of this term that's been going around uh, in the recent months is that real estate is a great hedge against inflation. Can you explain exactly what that means and why investing in real estate is a great idea? Well, historically, you know, when when int- inflation goes up, you know, real estate follows. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, it's a hard asset, obviously, and and. Um, it, it just really follows inflation in many ways. Now there's supply and demand issues, obviously too, where here we are in a low inflation environment and the supply and demand in the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, more demand and a dwindling supply is gonna raise prices too. Mm-hmm. But historically, again, inflation has been good for, for hard assets, particularly real estate. So let's get to some nuggets that people can take away. If someone's looking to start planning for their future, what is some of the first advice that you give people who are looking to just build a better future for themselves financially and um, saving or whether they do want to invest in real estate eventually? What are some of the tips that you can give? Sure. So first and foremost, know your numbers. So like we spoke earlier, you know, in the conversation about knowing your business numbers, well, you need to know Mm -hmm. your numbers too at home. So your income, your debt, your cash flow, uh, and obviously you have to set goals, you know, short, immediate, long-term goals. So then either individually or with an advisor, say, okay, based on my goals, based on the income, uh, you know, what's, what's achievable. But as early as someone can, they should systematically save. So out of sight, out of mind has worked forever and, and use the beauty of compound interest. Um, so, so basically just start a savings account. If you can do it on a tax favored basis, which could be an IRA, a solo 401k, a, and a, even a Roth IRA is a, a tax advantage. So, so you just have to look at all the vehicles that are out there, but, but know your numbers, set up a systematic saving plan, stick to it and, and have your goals. 
All right. Well, there, there you have it. Uh, know your numbers, set your goals and stick to it. Well, thanks so much, Dad, for coming on. Uh, really great chatting with you as always. And hopefully people got some good, insightful, uh, you know, knowledge from this conversation. And I think that there's some wonderful tips, whether it is for business development or for, again, just realistically saving for your future. So thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked the episode and the show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends. As a new podcast, this is the best way you can support the show. To see more about each episode or to connect with me, head on over to my Instagram page at Jordi Karlinski.